we would be honored if you would join us. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers, where many amazing things have happened. Not only has William Shatner gone into space, finally, uh, but <laughs> we have the one and only Laura Drake joining us th- this evening to talk about her amazing, fantastic books, and we're going to convince you why you should rush out and buy them. But first, <laughs> yeah, welcome on the show, Laura. Thank you. Yay! Thank you. I just had to, for all of us, but mostly you guys. Yeah, I mean, I had to throw it out there. I, I'm not a Star Trek fan, but it is kind of cool that Captain Kirk got shot into space. Really. Boldly going where no nonagenarian yeah. has ever gone before. But I, I will admit, it was hilarious seeing the picture with him and the other crew. He was wearing the traditional gold uh, space flight uni- uniform. Oh, that's And the great. other three were wearing red. Oh, that's fantastic. I didn't and even see the it, picture. And someone put out a meme. Should the rest of the flight crew be worried? <laughs> <laughs> but yes, yes. The answer is yes. Yes. But at 90 years old, William Shatner jumped in the rocket ship and was ejected into space. Which is Where they cool. left him. No. Dang. Ah. No, no. Gosh, he, dang it. I don't know when he's coming back. I mean, I just know he, he left. Fun fact, I have really strong opinions about William Shatner, but that's okay. That's okay. But we'll leave it at that because now we've we've done enough to stall for Alton to be able to speak. Yeah. Because something (laughs) happened, which no one will know about. Yeah, this is this is not an episode of strong opinions or accidentally forgetting to plug in your laptop before sitting down after a 14 hour workday. That would never happen on stream and it would never be caught on audio. No, never have we ever made a mistake in the nearly 14 years this show has been running. It's crazy. But in two months, it will be 14 years since this show started. But, you know, the greatest mistake that we didn't make tonight. Tell us. We didn't forget to invite Laura to the Zoom call. Hey, Laura and, Drake! And there's this huge advantage that we have as hosts on the show, right? Because we get to banter a little bit beforehand and get to know people, but we also get to see cameras. We get to see people's beautiful faces and people that we always want to meet. And Laura is certainly one of those people. For those of you who have not had a chance to hear about her, about her buckle up. It's going to be a wonderful evening. <laughs> Don't build it up too high. I'd rather keep it low so I can. Uh, excuse me. It, uh, it will be an appropriate amount of fun this evening, exactly long enough for you to listen till the end of the episode and no less. She, she wants Perfect. the bar set low so everyone's like, oh, that was amazing. <laughs> so much easier for everyone that way, don't you think? I don't know. Every episode is a high bar moment. <laughs> <laughs> But Laura, tell us a little bit about yourself. I mean, obviously you're an author. I hear that you are one of those authors who lives in the Midwest, who's trying to live a <laughs> fantasy life in, in you know, Midwest America. But tell us, like, who are you? What are you about? What are you proud of? Um, okay, let's see. Well, I did. I grew up in Arkansas. And yes, that is a state. Yes, it does exist. And yes, it is AR. And that is not Arizona. So that's all the questions about Arkansas you need to know. Bill Clinton, Walmart, let me cover the bases here. Um, <laughs> so I grew up there. I went to school at BYU, graduated, and I was teaching for four, sorry, teaching fourth grade for two years. And then I moved to Japan, actually. Mm. And mm. when I was in Japan is when I actually started writing because I had more time on my hands without roommates. And that's 
yeah, that's kind of when it all started. I, I had all these, all my books are based on dreams. I guess I can throw that out there. So I had these crazy, freaky haunted dreams, which is what sparked my Japanese ghost story series. And then I had some other kind of magic dreams that sparked my fantasy trilogy. And ever since I, I guess when COVID got bad, I came home and I've been writing ever since. I love it. What, what part of Japan were you living in? Tokyo. Tokyo proper. Very nice. Yeah. Yep. So, so, you know, you mentioned that you have a little bit of experience with writing some Japanese ghost stories based on Japanese mythology and traditional ghost stories, I guess. Um, you know, tell us what, what are some of the other works that, that people should absolutely know about up front in order for us to be able to have an engaging conversation today? Well, I only have two series out under Laura and Drake at the moment. Oh, I should give you a disclaimer right now. Please don't Google Laura Drake to find my <laughs> books because there is a romance cowboy writer out there who loves shirtless cowboys on her books. And that is not me. Totally guilty. <laughs> Absolutely Googled it before the show. And that's exactly what happened. And this is exactly the reason why I specifically queued it up for Laura to introduce how she would like to be Googled and found. You know, because of the exact problem, Dan texts me and says, Laura Drake's coming on the show. And I'm like, okay, I feel like I recognize that name. I read. Yeah. And, and I pull it up and I go, I don't think that's who he's talking about. And then he mentions the specific series and then it all starts to fall into place. You know, don't mean to interrupt. Kind of funny. You're not the only one that falls prey to that. Uh, another guest to the show we've had on. Dan Wells. If Dan you, Wells. If you mm. do a Google search for him, you find a very attractive topless model, um, <laughs> which he is not. And, and he admits that he is not an attractive topless model. He's an attractive man. He's a smart man, but he's Who wears not a, a shirt. He does wear <laughs> I mean, that's a shirt. The, that's the only distinction there. He's still wearing the shirt. He wears that's right. shirt. It's going to be a, we're going to discover. We'll discover one day that it's a total Clark Kent Superman moment where like we 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 think they're two different people because he's wearing a shirt. He's wearing it off and he takes it off and he completely transforms. Wait a minute. <laughs> he's fooled me all these years. So so our our dear Laura Drake, who is here today, is not a uh, romance, uh, a cowboy romance novelist. Uh, indeed not, but you did touch on some of the books that you have written. Can you give us an idea of your flair, your, your flavor, your favorite genres? Where do your books fall in the pantheon of genre? Wow, I wish I, wish I could even tell you that. Like my, my first completed series is fantasy. I tell people it's very Harry Potter meets Avatar The Last Airbender with like a hint of like Romanoff, Anastasia thrown in. And okay. so that's here, that trilogy is complete now. And it was quite the undertaking very very emotionally draining <laughs> and then like right now i'm cranking out i have these four novellas of japanese ghost stories due to my time in japan i just love japan so anyone who wants to go there or doesn't want to go there but thinks that they have an interest or really just enjoys spooky stories like it is i am loving writing these books right now and it's nice because like my last magic book was 170,000 words and these are around 30 to 40,000. So <laughs> well, I, you know, I'm, I jumped onto Amazon and I found your books. Uh, the titles are in order, unexpected magic, unleashed magic and untrained magic. And that's the magic trilogy that you referenced. Uh -huh. And then there's a book called the move. And it has a cover that is reminiscent of Schindler's List meets The Grudge. Uh, it's 
very interesting. But my favorite part is that the full title, according to Amazon, is The Move, a paranormal romantic suspense novella, Japanese hauntings book one. Like there are, I, I see your point. There's like 12 flavors. It's like the Baskin Robbins of ghost story books, right? Like it's got 32 flavors and I love everything about it. <laughs> so you, you said earlier that your books are based on dreams that you've had. And I don't know about you. I'm a huge horror movie fan. And I have found that Japanese psychological horror and Korean psychological horror is about 87 magnitudes more terrifying than anything America produces. What kind of dream did you have that made this book and are you okay? Yeah, I don't know what sparked it, but I have watched quite a few suspense movies in my day. So that could just been the subconscious leaking out there. But I, so my house in Japan was very tiny. I don't know if you've ever been to Japan or seen their apartments, but it's probably about the size of the bedroom that I'm in, like the whole house. And I slept up in this tiny little loft that was probably about four feet wide. Mm -hmm. and I was, it's like one of those weird where you're kind of awake, but you're kind of asleep dream moments, you know? And I was lying there on my, my little futon bed and I had this dream that the wall next to me, just or right next to my face, it just caves into this black hole and this creepy like ghost woman essentially reaches out and tries to pull me into the hole. And then of course I so freaked out that I, I wake up and I'm, I startle awake. And that is essentially what spurred that first book. And then the rest of the series is um, based on just different ghost stories. Actually, funny story. The second one, I don't know if any of you guys know anything about Japan. Do you? Uh, my brother um, spent two years there. Okay. So there's, uh, they call it the Nihon Broadcasting System. It's the Japan, the NHK. Um, so my second book is actually, so each book kind of continues the first, the ghost from the first book. It's like this overarching story. And then every book after there's a new Japanese ghost introduced that kind of introduced a bit more of Japan and whatnot. Anyway, the second one's not a real ghost story from Japan. It's totally based on the NHK man who everyone says you like want to avoid them at all costs and they'll come knocking on your doors and trying to collect fees and stuff. And anyway, <laughs> it totally happened to me and I was like, this is real life. And so I, I turned it into a ghost story called the never know how man, the NKH man. And so that is the, the antagonist of the second book. And it was very funny because obviously you can't spook yourself with your own writing, but also I just laughed every time I worked on those scenes because I just remember him coming to my house being like, where's my money? I'm like, I don't even have a TV. <laughs> <laughs> and, and just to be clear, like you, you've certified, you're confident, none of these paranormal things followed you back, right? Like you didn't have a secret pocket in your suitcase you forgot to empty out or anything like that. Well, if they did, then I'll have to like, you know, try and pass along to someone else so I don't disappear before it gets me. And that's how Zoom becomes like the ring. And now she's passed <laughs> the curse on to us. And we have seven days. In other words, the time before our next show recording to pass <laughs> on the your curse. Next person. It's the only <laughs> Christian way to go about it. Well, to be fair, it's all Alton's fault because he, he asked the question. Drew so attention to it. Acknowledge the existence. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I, I am one to typically put my foot into trouble. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's that's one of the other things that's neat about horror stories in general is, and we've talked about this before too, like having good, healthy horror in the world is a net positive thing because 
it's important for us to be able to see the things that are actually scary and the ways in which we are able to overcome our own fears for the things that aren't. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And, uh, and so, you know, it's always fascinating, especially when we hear about um, uh, horror and stories that are, that are based in other cultures and, and belief systems and understandings, because uh, like Krebs was saying earlier, right? A lot of times they can be considerably more intense when you're based in a society that cares about order and the, that this is just the way things are. There's a pattern to things. And because of that, um, we see a lot of times that that type of horror and those types of stories dwell upon what happens when we actually break everything at once, right? Allow the structure to pretend to be this veneer on the surface, but the reality is everything is pulled inside out. Do you find that that's kind of been a foundational inspiration for the way that you see your books beginning to structure themselves? Well, I find that a lot of like the Japanese stories are actually like, like obviously it's fiction and it was inspired by a dream, but they're all based on like Japanese lore and legend. But a lot of the details were pulled straight from my life. Like I interviewed my Japanese friends and coworkers about creepy, mm-hmm. like supernatural occurrences that they had to get legit ideas for my book so like when he'd be like oh like in the second book he's like don't look over there or you're gonna see it and he's like see what what the heck and he's like totally afraid. like yeah my wife told me that one day after work and I was like what you're like that legit happened to you <laughs> so like things like that I was like that's going in the book <laughs> so despite the mockery from Deb's <laughs> Krebs and Dan my question was extremely poignant of did you accidentally bring something back <laughs> there's a I'm distinct just... possibility <laughs> <laughs> love it. Uh, Krebs? So, you know, we are in the spookiest of months, and we have had conversations about the spookers before. And, and while we're on the topic of this particular book, I am curious, do you believe in the paranormal? And uh, connected to that is, what is something that utterly terrifies you? Um, I do I do think I believe in the paranormal, but not like, like, I don't know. I think, I think, you know, there's a lot of movies out there, like, um, like the, what is it? The haunting of Connecticut Hill or uh, ha- haunting on uh, hunting of Hill house and uh, the haunting of Bly Manor. And yeah, like all those kind of things. Like I've seen those. And I think that like, obviously I don't think everyone's making up things like that, but I think my view of the supernatural is more like less crazy vengeful ghost spirits and just like that there is another plane of existence and I think that there are spirits and some of them are probably angry and like I'm sure they're like I think because you hear good stories too you know and I don't think you can believe the good and like angels watching over you kind of thing if you also don't believe that there are probably spirits that are out to get you kind of thing so yeah I'd say I believe but as for what terrifies me, I don't know. I find that as I grow up, I feel like my fears have turned less from external, like, I don't know, clowns and haunted houses and scary movies and to more like, I'm scared of never trying what I want to do or like having too many, like that kind of fear. But yeah, I am actually still really scared of spiders, but only subconsciously. I have serious night terrors about spiders when I'm asleep. <laughs> Never go to Australia. 
Yes, I see the worst pictures. It's like, like everything covered in cobwebs and people are like, burn the whole country down. <laughs> no, no, they have really large spiders. Yeah. I saw this great picture of Frodo or of Sam fighting Shelob in the Lord of the Rings. And it was like titled, an Australian child going to school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's about right. Absolutely checks out. So, you know, you mentioned that you, you, you know, you went to school in Utah, moved to Japan, started doing some writing, COVID kicked in, you know, that's a relatively short evolution um, to be able to get to the point that you are actually published, that you are actually starting to get some traction. I know earlier we were talking about the audiobooks that you have available and things like that, which by the way, everybody go check them out. Um, but, you know, what do you think are some of the things that have involved or helped to evolve um, your growth as a writer that, that makes you feel excited to do this, but also that have helped you develop some of the tools to be successful so far? Good question. I think a big factor is that a lot of writers that I see trying to do the whole writing thing, and especially indie authors, are doing it on top of a job. But when I came back from Japan, I decided to do it full time and just like chill with my parents for a bit. So the lack of expenses meant that I didn't need to rush into finding a job. And also, who wants to like look for a job anyway in the middle of COVID, right? You know, it's like, yeah. so it seemed like a good time. So that played a big role in it because I just had so much time to dedicate it to it. And I'm I'm naturally a very goal oriented person. So I'm like very much like, I gotta, I gotta set these goals and I gotta accomplish them or else what am I doing with myself? And so that helped a lot. Um, also having like, I guess for my writing in general, it's just like doing it a lot. Like since then I've, I've published three for that magic book and I'm about to publish my third for the Japanese book and I've already got the fourth written. And then I've got three books that I've co-written with a friend so it's like just the more you do it the better you get and you like having beta readers has been amazing like I you don't realize how blind to your own faults and your problems stories you are until other people point out these really obvious questions and then you feel like a fool and <laughs> it's like how did I miss that so yeah outside input has been like huge are there sources from which you've found that you've drawn inspiration specifically from the context of writing? Like, obviously we've talked about the inspiration for the stories, but are there authors to whom you look up or styles, modalities, things that help to inform the flavor and the pacing and the tone that you want to take on? I don't know. I feel like my tone is pretty distinctly me, but I definitely have authors that I like love and I've read their books multiple times which have probably subconsciously um influenced me without me even knowing that I might be like copying their styles or things like that I'm sure that they do though but I think the biggest influence honestly is from other indie readers that I beta read for and I get to see their works and like the things that they do well um like people that are really good at world building or really good at characterization or even just really good with grammar like you I pull so much more when I'm beta reading for people than when I'm just reading a book because then I get lost in the story so um yeah I think I think the themes and like 
tropes that you see in books that like you know are repeated over and over you know those can definitely be influenced from what I've read but as far as influencing my writing itself I'd say it's it's uh the other writers that I work with yeah that absolutely rings true for me and and I mean, you know, um, for the listeners out there who have heard a lot of our other interviews, we see a lot of common themes like that as well, that the two biggest things that I'm pulling away from here are like, first off, just repetition, putting in the time, just doing it, right? The first time is not going to be good. That's okay. The second time is not going to be good. That's okay. The 50th time still might not be good, but it's going to be better than the first and second time, Yeah. right? And then the second piece is, you know, engaging with other people who are on the same path. They might be at different points, but being able to get that feedback, see what works, see what doesn't, and and find peers and colleagues and 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 learn, right? I absolutely yeah. respect that. You know that that takes a lot. Um, with that, you know, what are some of the tools and resources that you have found over the last year have been huge for you in in meeting those people and, and being able to connect in those ways? Um. Honestly, I pretty much have met all of my writing friends via Facebook writing groups. Like I don't have any people in person that I meet with, which I guess might be a common theme for COVID, but like my friends are scattered across, like I've got some people in like New Zealand and like my cover designers and I don't remember like Brazil and like they're, you know, just people all over. So it's just technology is amazing, you know? So I don't know if you guys know, but there's a group that I really love called the Writing Gals um, Facebook group. And it's got like, I don't know, 16,000 writers in it. Not just girl writers, but it's just these four girls that started the group. And mm -hmm. that's where I get a lot of like, oh, and there's another group called Ask a Book Editor, which is very helpful. It's like, you can go post any question and then people will answer it and they'll be like, I'm an editor, here's my input. And that's proved super useful. Um, and then like, tools like KDP Rocket for like categories and keywords and things like that I use. And then, um, let's see. No, I guess that's pretty much it. Like just like finding, like, yeah, just using those writing groups to find everybody, like finding arc readers, beta readers, critique partners, just even just in, input on your covers and things like that. Very nice. <laughs> So we've talked about some of the strengths and some of the things you've developed. What are some of the things that you've had to like really learn or overcome? What are some of the hardest parts of your process right now? Um, I'd say like before I mentioned that I'm very goal oriented and it's like definite strength for a job like this where you're in charge of your own schedule, but also sometimes it's detrimental. And um, my co-writer, Sally, she'll tell you that when we first started working together, I was very set like, we, we we made a goal to get like 10 chapters this month or whatever it was and I was like we need to stick to this and I was like not very flexible and I didn't want to like disappoint people with deadlines that we had kind of set or like even ourselves like just not make meet our goals but now I'm a lot more flexible I'm just like yeah well we'll do our best <laughs> and like I like it I think I've learned the lesson that it's not worth stressing over something that I'm choosing for myself you know, you uh, you released your first magic book in uh, June of last year. Uh, that was Unexpected Magic. And then you followed it up with the second book in October of that same year. And then uh, of August of this year, you, you followed it up with the third. 
Uh, how have these, uh, in your opinion, and from what you've seen and the feedback that you've received, how have these books performed? How are they doing? Um, well, I don't, you probably hear this a lot, but I feel like the feedback I get is super pop, pop not popular, positive. That's the word, I'm, maybe popular, I don't know, but very positive. Like it's got great ratings on Amazon. My problem is figuring out Amazon advertising and like learning how to get it to readers because like I've had nine-year-old girls devour the book in a couple of evenings and like love it. And then I've had like 60-year-old guys from my church group also be like, Where, when's the next book coming out? And so I'm like, there's not really a demographic apparently. Like, I mean, it's very much about teenagers, but it's like, you know, I don't know. It's like people, lots of different people are enjoying it. And I hear really like, it's it's fun because it, it really evolves from like a, a girl at an academy with a crush on her friend and this this mystery happening outside the school and these attacks on the school to like th civil wars threatening the country. And there is very like Harry Potter four with the Goblet of Fire. They have like this uh, tournament with the different mm -hmm. regions. And then finally in the last book, it's like, so it's like this and then this and then like this, you know, for like the book lengths, it just like keeps evolving and kind of getting a more mature feel. I think that helps draw people in too because it doesn't just stay this kind of not like superficial, but the the themes get more intense. And it's also, it's a it's a clean read. That's kind of my marketing brand is I'm going for a clean author, like no, no sex, no swearing. Like it's good for any age. And, you know, I feel like it's easy to find books that have things if you want a good spice level, but it's not always easy to find books that don't have spice. And no spice is like my perfect spice level. <laughs> <laughs> well, well I, go, go ahead, Alton. Well, and the other thing too that, that you're talking about here, and, and this is the thing that I've, you know, seen, and then I've started reading through the first book. I won't pretend that I've, you know, made it all the way through yet. Um, but one of the things that I, I do see as a big strength, and that seems to be consistently showing here, is that instead of trying to cater to a demographic or a trope or like, this is the pattern that we've got to follow the pattern because that's the thing that always gets to sell the book because, you know, you're focusing on, on good characters and good story, good development, allowing that growth to be meaningful book to book and, and within the confines of the universes that you're building instead of just trying to force it to, it has to exist in this neighborhood, in this building, in this social organization, it has to be the teenage girl doing the teenage girl problem or the preteen problem, right? And, and I think that that's a big strength, the focus on, on story over a, a template, you know? Yes. I think that's a good strength to see. And in the little bit that I have read so far, I've really been enjoying it too. And Thank that, you, you know, and, and for anybody who has not heard my voice by this point, I'm definitely not a preteen girl. <laughs> Um, you know, but, but good story doesn't I've been have to lied be to this whole time. <laughs> yep. Krebs, I got what bad news mean? for you, man. <laughs> the facial hair didn't give it away. The voice that, you know, I thought you were a dwarf, like, like yeah. Lord of the Rings type. Yeah. It's the bad. That's fair. But yeah, I mean, you know, I think that's a good thing. I think that's a really strong strength. I hope that it's something that that you're able to really help people connect with early on. And hopefully this will be something to help there too, I don't know. 
Yeah, I what I like that you mentioned earlier when you were talking about like you you've received a lot of positive feedback from ages nine to sixty and across you know uh, both males and females is the idea that like fantasy does not have a locked in demographic. So I think it's one of the things that we communally love about it. Fantasy is yeah. meant for all ages. It's meant for all demographics. And so I'm glad that you that you approached that genre. But also, I think it's something very interesting. I think it's worth kind of commenting on that we live, we live in a society, we live in a society where it's now noteworthy to state that a book does not contain material that is, as you put it, spicy, right? That's not to say the book doesn't have flavor. It's to say that the yeah. book does not have uh, material that could be considered offensive or derogatory or um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like exploitative. It's, you know, or, or salacious. It's none of that stuff, right? It focuses on the core of the story, the purpose of the story without gussing it up with, with other things that are probably unnecessary to the core story anyway. And we're, we're in a, we're in a particular point in history where if a book does not have that, then it becomes a question of, oh, well, is the book good? And it's so weird that people would associate that a story is a good story pending its level of salaciousness or vulgarity. And here you've eliminated those things and you're still telling a good story. So you know what? Super bravo to you. High five. <laughs> Thank you. You know, you know, I'm probably going to get some backlash for this, but. Uh -oh. <laughs> good it, intro. It, it's bad, but literally. Game of Thrones, the whole series, <laughs> you do not need half of the garbage that's in that book. I mean, literally, it's all for the wow and shock factor. Really, yes. that's the only reason anyone is really reading it and looking at it, because when you break it down, it's just not that great of a book. It's not that great of a series. That could have been clearly well done with all without a whole of that in there. You know, um, and it's been yeah. shocking time and time again that you can still do a really good book without having the extreme violence without having the overwhelming nudity and sexuality in it you know you can you can lead to it through induendo you know or pan out or whatever when the moment happens and let the reader's mind take that you don't need to just force feed that down someone's throat um so i i i know i'll get some slack but it's true. You can still write a good story without having that. You can still have an amazing fight scene without describing someone's head exploding um, or, you know, their midsection being sliced in half <laughs> and what that looks like. It's, yeah. Um, I mean, and, and you can still have powerful moments, though, too, when there is a battle or a fight. I mean, I'm, I'm reminded of... The, the scene on top of the High Claris Tower in Dragonlance, where the hero is standing against a, a, dra a dragon and a rider, and the rider just puts the lance right through him. And I remember reading that for the first time and just going, <gasps> but there wasn't a description of the blood and the gore of it. It was just that description of the lance sliding into him and him slumping over and dying. And, and your mind filled in all the imagery yes, and the viscera. Yeah. And, and it, and and it filled it into the appropriate level for where you were engaging in the story. Correct. Yes. And for my age and everything like mm -hmm. that. Um, and I didn't need the blood, the gore, and the guts. Yeah. Um, and there are several other books I've read that are just as well. And so 
there is that pressure. That's that pressure out there to 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 one up. You know, I know it's definitely big in Hollywood. I know it's big out there in the writing community, and we don't need to do that. I mean, we can tell a good story and let the reader's imagination take over. I think that was the success of all those books in years past. Yeah, to come to come very much to Dan's defense here as well, and to maybe say it a slightly different way. And this may not exactly match Dan's opinion one-to-one. He may still think that it's way worse than even what I'm going to try to give the Honorable George R.R. R. Martin here. I have not admit, again, I also will admit, I've not been able to stomach past partway through the first book. It just didn't get me. But the thing that I did note from it is that Mr. Martin is very good at writing individual scenes and conceptual ideas that are clickbaity enough to hold your attention until the <laughs> next good scene or idea. I yeah. think it's one of the reasons why it translates very well to episodic TV is because it's okay that I can be done in a half hour or an hour and it's just spectacle for that entire time and there's exactly enough connective tissue to make it to the next episode, right? But even though that is one skill that an author can have that can make them successful, I think the other point that we're trying to make here is that the author who is capable of writing a throughput story that does not require glitz, glam, over-the-top nonsense to hold your attention long enough to make it to just the next over-the-top thing is its own unique skill set. And I can also say, because I also haven't finished your first book here, but from what I've read so far, I am not suffering from George R. R. Martin syndrome reading so far. <laughs> I am, in fact, being able to be held and carried not just from scene to scene, but through the natural flow of what's going on. And I can't recommend that enough as well. No, I mean, that, that's exactly the point I was making. A good writer will hook you in the beginning and then lead you through the story to the point where it really takes you to go, oh, I don't want to put this down, but it's 4 a.m. and I have to be to work at 6. I need to go to bed. Where you're right. His books is like, okay, that's cool. I got through that. Uh, maybe I want to read a little bit further. Okay, I got through that. Maybe I want to read a little bit further, but it's not that overwhelming desire of like, oh, I got to read the next page. I got to keep going. Uh, so yeah, we'll hand it over to Krebs because he's got the, the, the baton. I do, I do. <laughs> so currently you have published five books. Uh, there is a sixth book coming. You've got a seventh book written. Imagine for a moment that there was some devastating natural disaster leaving only one of your books behind oh. for posterity. Of those books, even the, the, the fourth um, Japanese stories book that's not yet published, <laughs> imagine for a moment that it's published, of all those books, which one is your consummate voice that you would want left behind for posterity? Hey, wait a minute, when did we just, be this, this question become the background story for 2012? I know, right, right? Plus we're like <laughs> nine years late, but yeah. that's okay. That's okay. Uh, Al Gore doesn't mind us like stealing this idea. Um, which which book would you want left behind for posterity? That's tough. Obviously, even within my own series, I definitely think I get better as I go. So in terms of writing skill, the like the last magic is so much better world building, and you're already in love with all the characters because you've been with them for two books, and like there's so much more depth to it. But 
like you you couldn't just pick up the last one and be satisfied with that you wouldn't know so i'd have to choose the first one and it's, it's like the same with the japanese books but while those are just like a fun spooky read like the magic books that's like that's where my my heart like my first story was so it, it'd have to be the first one unexpected magic awesome awesome absolutely I, love it i like what you guys were saying about you know like the whole not having to just conform to tropes and stuff because it's kind of I feel like a lot of the Facebook groups you see people like right to market and I know that there's definite um, value in that I see a lot of people that do financially well writing to market but I think that my opinion not my opinion like my motto since I started writing is because I know my genre is all over the place like I've got another kind of book that takes place in the afterlife planned and then I've got some modern Jane Austen retellings planned and then I'm going back to my magic books like I've, I'm all over the place but my motto is if someone finds an author that they like, then they'll probably want to read other things. And I shouldn't just like confine myself to one pen name and one genre. And so I'm just kind of going for it, even if it could be a horrible mistake. But I, I like what you're going to say, like, just keep producing quality books and eventually you have to succeed. It's kind of my thought. Well, I mean, yeah. as far as writing to market it, you know, uh, anything you write is going to go to a market. It just depends on which market you're targeting. You know, if yeah. you're writing YA, you're hitting the YA market. If you're writing adult, you, you know, even the other Lara, Lara Drake, you know, she's writing to a very specific uh, market uh, and that's doing well. I mean, you, you can do that. Uh, you know, for the longest time, Stephen King wrote under the pen name Richard Bachman and no one really knew that. And he, he was doing more of a science fiction type stuff than his traditional horror. It wasn't huh. until later that it was revealed that it was him. So it definitely, you definitely, there are options out there. I mean, I yeah. know another horror writer right now. I won't say who he is, but he writes cowboy, female cowboy romance. And he, and it is a female. Laura Drake. Name. Laura Drake. Yeah. <laughs> Laura Drake. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's another well, well-known author. Um, but he does write uh, female romance cowboy romance novels and he, he did it on a whim to see if it would work and people loved it and but you know his pen name is a woman's name so he'll, he'll never interview for those books but um i it, always wondered why danielle Steele sounded so similar to daniel swenson you know, <laughs> i wish i'd be living in a much different place than this <laughs> but she's a lot older than me uh yeah that's fair but um yeah, so I think you can still write to the market, but not collapse to your yeah. own. And, and they're both legitimate strategies yeah. as an author. If your objective is to write for a living, right? Um, and, and the audiences with which you're attempting to connect and the strategy that you have to employ to make your books successful in those ways is very, very different. Um, and to the point that you were making earlier, by choosing to write the story instead of the market, it can sometimes make it difficult to get to the reader quickly, succinctly, easily. But the trade-off is the other thing that you pointed out, which is there's a little more longevity in it. And if you can really make sure that you are treating those stories with respect and the people who are consuming those stories with respect in the process, they'll be your advocates. They absolutely will. And and I, I think you got really solid footing here. So a similar question to what, you know, Krebs was asking, but instead of having to choose a book, <laughs> I'm going to say like, 
what is the singular message if there was nothing else that people remember about you a hundred years from now? What is the message of your life or your experience or the thing that you want passed on the most to your readers and, and people who get to observe you without being able to interact with you? Um, I think it would probably be that uh, you should never let the fear of failure keep you from doing, like trying what you want to do because it's like okay to fail. And a lot of people are just scared of it, but there's nothing wrong with it. And like I failed a million and one times, even just since I started writing. And every time I get better. I love it. Thank you very much. And with that, I think we need to move to the most important part of the episode. Mr. Krebs, you gonna lead us in? That is right. It is time for our favorite moment, the lightning round of the episode where we will ask you a series of questions where we expect really short and brief answers such that we might get a shotgun peppering of inquiries going. Are you ready for the lightning round? I'll do my best to mentally prepare. Is that too long? Nope, you did great. All right, here we go. Let's start off real easy. Here are some softball questions. First and foremost, what is your favorite color? Blue. What is your quest? Cerulean. What uh, is your quest? No. Sorry, I had to ask it. <laughs> what is your what is your favorite piece of pop culture media? Uh, Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Okay. Uh, similar. A, a similar in question. Uh, what is your favorite book not written by you? Um, maybe Goose Girl. Ooh, very good choice. Very good mm. choice. Uh, what is your favorite movie that you'd watch on a rainy day? Lord of the Rings. Ooh, which Lord of the Rings? The trilogy? Um, yeah, you have to watch them all. Extended Except version? It. Extended. There you go. There you go. Uh, Blu-ray or DVD or VHS? I am not a tech snob at all. Not that you guys are, but I literally no, I am. can't tell. A super am. A super am. Can't tell the difference, so... Awesome. And then finally, here comes the question that we all love and wait for. What is your stance on 1983 sci-fi fantasy film, Kroll? Oh, that's going to be tough to keep to a really short response. So I'm going to have to tell you, I actually have no idea. So (laughs) (laughs) Totally baiting you. Man, okay. For the people at home, all three of us leaned into the camera to be like, okay, this is getting interesting. And then she delivered it perfectly. I could not have asked for a better way. I may have to put the video out for this one. (laughs) I I knew in my heart of hearts there was only two ways this could go. And it was either going to be 100% truth or 100% deception. And you got me, kid. You got (laughs) me. That's my motto for life, 100%. Good job. Don't get cocky, kid. There we go. Awesome. All right. Well, Laura, you have been amazing. We truly appreciate you coming on the show. Folks, if you'd like to read any of her work, you can find it over on Amazon. Remember that the first book in the magic series is Unexpected Magic, followed by Unleashed Magic, followed by Untrained Magic. And there is the Super Spoopy series, starting with The Move, which is the first book in the Japanese Hauntings series. And right now, The Move is on sale for a paltry 99 cents, y'all. Dude, you can't even go to Starbucks and get anything, literally anything for 99 cents. Kicked so, out. yep, that's it. <laughs> what, can you, what can you get for a bucket Starbucks? Kicked out. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it's really sad. A dollar used to go a long way. Now you can't buy anything with it. Fuck. Well, you can buy my I, book. 
That's but now yeah. you can make long yeah. distance that's, calls with 10 You could not buy anything more valuable in this moment than her book. Dan. I know. That's, that was the point I was getting to, and you guys just ruined it. The whole delivery <laughs> is just off. Well, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't the one being rude to our guest. I wasn't either. I was building up the momentum, and you completely cut me I'm off. really good at suspense in my books, but not in real life, actually. <laughs> <laughs> this is when Dungeon Crawlers devolves into the Three Stooges. Oh, but anyway... <laughs> Thank you so very much for being on the show. We genuinely appreciate you. Best wishes to you and uh, in your writing career. You are awesome. Thank you very much for sharing your talent with the world. Yes. Hey, thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been a real treat. All right, everyone. It's that time. It's that time when we have to let you go back to the real world and go back to your jobs and all that other boring stuff. But the great thing is you can pick up a really good book for less than a cup of coffee. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and then you can have the rest of the week and enjoy it (laughs) with that said i'm just gonna say i'm done i'm out of here we'll catch you next time dungeon crawlers tell your story whatever may come and whether you're an angsty teenage magician or your wall opens up into a black void in your sleep please remember to always be epic and don't suck Remember, the Force will be with you, always.